such an honor to be able to share tonight. Thank you, Pastor Corey, Pastor Simone, for the opportunity. Never take it for granted when we have the opportunity to share God's Word. Um, I love to just follow and kind of track the Holy Spirit and how He's moving. And, you know, I've, I've ended up this morning, I just was sitting there listening, and my jaw fell open a few times as Pastor Corey was sharing because basically... I don't know how he got a hold of my sermon notes, but, yeah. but in all seriousness, there's, there's quite a bit of what um, he touched on. You know, the Lord had put the exact same theme in my heart, the same topic. And so tonight, I just want to continue on that line. But I want to just say that the Bible's very clear that when the Lord wants to get our attention, you know, he says things twice, right? Like Martha, Martha, verily, verily. So, so saying the same thing twice. And it's very important that we really grip what God is trying to communicate to us. And uh, so I've got something I want to share tonight on the topic of uh, the breaking point. Have you ever been in a place where, you know, you just feel like, hey, this is a breaking point. I just can't go on and I can't endure anymore. Well, the breaking point in human psychology is a moment of stress in which a person breaks down due to an intensity of environmental and internal pressure. And there are some people who are particularly rigid, but yet make no mistake about it. They might be able to endure more pressure than the average individual, but they still have a breaking point. Each and every one of us has a breaking point. And I want us to understand that that's really not a bad thing, as we're going to see tonight, that there is a place that God wants to bring us to where he actually breaks us. And so I'm going to actually be reading from Psalm 51, and this is where I mentioned already that Pastor Corey had quoted Psalm 51, particularly verses 16 and 17. And uh, here's, here's what uh, David says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. Now, you may be here tonight and be at the place where you are honestly dealing with so much stress, so much stuff in your life that you feel that you are at the breaking point. Well, I've got good news for you, not that that's a, the place that, that we you know, want to be in the natural, because sometimes it's a result of not dealing with issues and things that uh, have been left undone in our life. But ultimately, I want to tell you that there is a myriad of hosts that we can speak about, particularly in the scriptures, who actually allowed their breaking point to become their breakthrough. And it's very important that we get this right. It's very important. And I want to obviously refer to David, who wrote Psalm 51. We know David's story started off as a lowly shepherd, and yet God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint him and appoint him to be king over all Israel. And eventually, when he assumed that role, he served God and his people faithfully in the early years of his reign. But there came a point where his heart became hard. He became callous and indifferent, and he literally became, you know, puffed up with pride and, and was arrogant and was more concerned about himself and he thought that he could do whatever he wanted to do, and there was absolutely no one that he had to give account to. And the day finally came when the Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 11, when kings go to war, David stayed home, and there he was, 
went for a walk, went for a stroll on the rooftop, and he saw this beautiful woman, and he said, hey, I want her. And the fact is that she was married. Her name was Bathsheba. She had a husband by the name of Uriah, but that made no difference to David. He wanted her, and so he ended up committing adultery with her, and he covered up or attempted to cover up his sin by having her husband killed. And it appeared that David had gotten away with the perfect crime, that no one was going to call him to account. But the Lord saw what had happened. The Lord was well aware of the sin that David had committed. And he sent his servant, Nathan the prophet, to call David to account. David eventually came to the place where he realized that the prophet was addressing him. And he confessed his sin and he cried out to God in genuine repentance. And in the aftermath of this experience, he penned these immortal words in Psalm chapter 51. And there's so much amazing revelation in this chapter, but I want us to focus particularly here on this aspect of brokenness. David said that God wasn't looking for those who would merely offer to him, you know, the dutiful obligations of religion that they would be faithful to, you know, to engage in the ceremonial aspects God wasn't looking just for those who would show up, those who would do the right things outwardly, but God was looking for a people that inwardly were broken. Inwardly, their heart was broken. They had a contrite spirit and a broken heart. And David says that God looks at such people and says, these are the ones that know how to offer to me an offering, a sacrifice that is truly acceptable. And I want us to just be clear tonight that Sacrifice is required. There must be a sacrifice. God requires sacrifice of his people. And the idea here is that God is looking for brokenness. Now, the word broken in Hebrew is the word shabar. It's a very interesting term because it literally means to break down, to break in pieces. And the idea here is that God is looking for people, such as in the case of David, who were gripped with deep sorrow over their sin. As Paul states in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and has no regret. There's a worldly sorrow where we are sorrowful that we got caught, that we you know, had, had been found out for what we're doing, but there is a godly sorrow that literally causes us to move in the direction of repentance. And this is exactly what David is speaking about. It's a very powerful term. However, there's also a second application here. The second application, again, is derived from the meaning of this Hebrew word shabar or brokenness. It's a very interesting term because it also means to burst open and was used of the act of separating grain from the sheaves at a threshing floor. Now think of this. The Bible says that the threshing floor was such an integral part of, of the Old Testament, even the New Testament, because Jesus, remember, in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, when he spoke about how John said, you know, there's, I baptize you with water into repentance, but one is coming after me. He's more mightier than I. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he spoke about this whole thing of separating the wheat from the chaff, that he would cause us to go to the threshing floor. Very interesting. So the threshing floor was a flat surface in which the sheaves would be placed on the ground 
an, an animal, like an ox, for example, or even human beings would take sticks and they would beat those sheaves until the grain actually separated from the husk. And it literally, at that point, was when the grain was useful. It wasn't until that point. And Jesus said something very profound. It was referring to the fact that he was about to go to the cross. And in John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, if you look at the next verse, he makes it very clear what he's referring to. The next verse, he's speaking about this death that would occur in the soulish realm of our lives. Verse 25, whoever loves his soul life will lose it. And whoever hates his soul life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, let me explain something. When he speaks there, and I use the term soul life, it's the Greek word suke. Suke is a word from which we get our English word psyche or psychological. It speaks of what? More of our mind, our soul, our emotions. And he's saying that there's a place where we have to lose that type of life. We have to be willing to walk away from those things in the natural that we desire to appease in the soulish realm. And he says, for those who do that, he said, they will actually obtain eternal life. And the word that is used there for life is zoe. Zoe is a word that means spiritual life or eternal life. And God is saying, if you will give up your temporal life, if you will give up your desires for things in the natural, and you will focus on me and you will die to all of that, you will experience true spiritual and eternal life. And the process comes about as a result of the outer man, of the outer layer of that which is like a shell actually having to be put to death. Very important that we understand this. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans 8.11, is where? Living in us, the same spirit. So there's no issue that we don't have a lack of power. Resurrection power is in us. It's very, very clear that resurrection power is in us. So their life is in the grain. However, there is a shell outside of the grain, and it's a very powerful shell. And if the shell is not broken open, the grain cannot grow and bear fruit. There's no other way, guys. There's absolutely no other way. The shell must be broken. And when the shell breaks, the grain grows. So the issue is not whether the grain has life, but whether the outer shell will be broken. Will the outer shell be broken? I am quite confident, based on what the Scripture says, that the life of Jesus Christ can fill the whole earth. And remember, that's what the gospel is all about. Satan desires to cover the earth with darkness, the, deep, uh, the people with deep darkness. But it says, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's God's agenda. So this life is in us. And just as the alabaster jar needed to be broken in order to release the fragrance of the perfume that filled the house, so that outward part of us, that thing that is of our, of our soul, the outward part, those things that become hard and, and difficult and, and resistant to change in God's life, it must be broken if we are going to release the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. 
2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, notice that, through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us. A lot of us say, God, come and fill the earth with, the, with your glory. He says, through us, through you. I want to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, but he does it through us. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. One more scripture, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, so we have this treasure in earthen vessels or clay jars that the surpassing knowledge, or I'm sorry, the surpassing power will be shown to belong to God and not to us. Think about that. Earthen vessels, jars of clay, contained within it is a treasure. But yet in many places today, what we focus on, many ministries, many churches, is the earthen vessels. We are the first church of the earthen vessel. Come and look at the talent that we have. Look at how talented we are. Look at how gifted we are. Look at what we have. And it's all about the outward. It's all focusing on the outward. And yet this treasure is hidden. But the scripture is clear that this treasure is, to sh- is, is hidden in these earthen vessels to show the exceeding greatness of the power that belongs to God and not to us. Think about that, how absurd it is that we fail to release this treasure. We fail to release this power and we focus on the earthen vessel. We focus on the alabaster jar. But we are not those who curate alabaster jars or earthen vessels, but we are those who carry the glory and the anointing of God. God wants to show his treasure to the earth. The clay jar must be broken to reveal the treasure. God wants to break you. He wants to break you. So often, the reason why we've not experienced our breakthrough is because we've been resistant to him breaking us. Sometimes, the truth be told, the reason we're not experiencing breakthrough is because we've not submitted to the threshing floor. We've not submitted to the breaking process. We resist it. I don't want that. God Please, don't break me. Don't let me go through this. Well, the scripture is clear. We must go through this process. And our only proper response is to make sure that the breaking takes place in order that the presence and power of God will be released from these vessels of clay. Listen to this. To ensure that people's faith is in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. Paul said, and we know this very well, these two verses in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. He said, when I came to you, he said, my preaching wasn't with wise and persuasive words. He said, with wisdom of man. He said, but with the power and the anointing and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Then verse 5, he says this, that your faith might rest in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man that your faith might rest in the power of God and not in the wisdom 
of man. What an incredible thing. And so often, guys, ministry and, and all that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it's void of this anointing, when it's void of this power, it actually fails to place the focus on Christ and his power, the treasure, and draws attention to human ability, earthen vessels. And when this happens, we are unwittingly promoting a subtle form of idolatry. That your faith might be in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. But in many places, it's all about the gifting of men, the abilities of men what we can do in the natural, in the outward. But God is saying in this day that he is raising up a remnant that are willing to release the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. They're willing to be broken. They're willing to be threshed. They're willing to come to that place where the life of Christ in them is released. Jesus uses um, an interesting word, to describe himself. Isn't it amazing when you think about Jesus? Wow. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 that he spoke to the crowds and he said this. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle. It's the word meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. So the word that is translated gentle in the English Standard Version, meek in the King James, is the Greek word praos. And it literally is rendered gentle, mild, or meek, but this term was actually borrowed from the Greek military. It's an interesting word because, you see, the Greek military had a very unique way of training horses. And what they would do is they would go out into the mountains and they would search for the most obstinate, stubborn, defiant, and rebellious wild horses. Sound like you? No. Turn to your neighbor and says, it sounds like they're talking about you. No, don't say that. And they would bring the horses into the camp. And after a period of several months, they would bring the horses through a grueling process that would the end in view would be the breaking of the horse. And by the breaking of the horse, what we're talking about is that which was in the horse, inherently in them, that was resistant to complying to the wishes of the master. And what would happen after that period of several months, the horses would be divided up into four categories. Some of the horses were discarded, no use not willing to be broken. Some of the horses who had been broken slightly were used for bearing burdens. And there were others who had been broken a little bit more and they were employed in ordinary duty. But there were those who had been completely broken and usually they were a small minority and these ones were chosen to be war horses. And when a horse had been entirely broken and it was submitted to its rider, the word that was used to describe its temperament is the term meek or praos in Greek. So praos speaks of power and authority, 
strength under control. We know that the horse was still strong and passionate. However, it learned to bring its nature under discipline. It was no longer unruly and rebellious. A war horse was broken to the point that its nature was under control and was entirely submitted to its master. And it's like it had become one with its master. Think about it. A war horse would go into battle. It would thunder into battle, stand unflinchingly in the face of cannon fire, yet it would respond to the slightest touch or nudge of the rider and stop at a whisper. It was now proud or meek. And the Bible speaks of us in that way, and we are compared to unruly horses. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that need to be broken. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Another translation puts it this way. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Just come with me. Several years ago, I was ministering in Florida in the United States, and there was a couple that was visiting this church where, and, and I saw them, and I, I just felt like the Lord said, you need to go and pray for them. And as I began to pray for them, I had a vision. And the vision was this. I saw the husband and the wife, and it was like they were walking through a suburban neighborhood in America, and the husband was ahead of his wife, actually walking and talking with Jesus. And they were engaged in a conversation, and it was quite obvious that the man was just delighted to be talking to Jesus. But every so often, Jesus would stop, and he'd turn around, and he'd look at the man's wife, and he'd say to her, come on, come, join us. Why are you lagging behind? Why are you staying at a distance? Come and be part of this conversation and the vision was so real to me, I, I could even feel the heart of Jesus where he was just saying, you know what, I want you to be with me. Why are you lagging behind? But the woman would not do that. And eventually she stopped and it was like she dug in her heels and she said, you can go, I'm not going any further. And that was the end of the dream, the vision. I said to the husband, I said, this is what I just saw. He interpreted it to his wife because she didn't understand English. And she began to weep and she began to cry. And she told me this. She said, I came to this country unwillingly. The country that we are from, we had to flee because our lives were in peril. We were being persecuted. And I prayed that we'd go to Australia. True story. But they ended up in America and she wasn't happy about that. And so what she said was, I didn't want to come here. But I told her, I said, listen, God wants you to know that he has led you in the direction that he wants you to go. He has a plan for your life. He is the one who has taken you in this direction. Stop resisting. Don't be like this horse that won't be tamed, this horse that is stubborn. I said, don't be like that. God has a plan for your life. Well, she began to pray, and 
We began to minister to her and she started to feel somewhat better by the end of the service. And I can tell you now, several years later, that they fully acclimatized in America and, and, and they've enjoyed living there now and she feels at home. But it was a difficult time. And I, and I just use that as an illustration of how often we are like that as individuals. We have our own will. We have our own plans. You know, I, I don't get this where we have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and yet Jesus said that the son can do nothing of himself. But whatever he sees the father do, so the son does and likewise. In other words, it's a moment-by-moment leading of the Holy Spirit. What is his plan? What does he want from us? We must be willing to follow him. Those that are broken, their self-will. You know, self-will is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. I, I, I'm not trying to get, uh, you know, a little bit dark here, but do you know what the Wiccan read is? In the occult, there's something called the Wiccan read. And the Wiccan read is simply this. It's a slogan, and, and it was adopted in Satanism and even before Satanism. And the, the slogan says this, whatsoever thou wilt do it. That's the slogan of Wicca. That's the slogan of Satanism. Whatsoever thou wilt, do it. But Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do those things that are pleasing to him. He said, the son has come from heaven to earth to not do his will, but to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus delighted to do the will of the Father. He was meek. He was broken. He was compliant. And when we come to that point where we are so broken, then what takes place is eventually our life, the reality of that revelation of what Paul spoke about where he says, your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. Hidden in him. Think about that. I want you to think about that for a moment. So often, what we focus on, even as spiritual people, even as those who love revival, is experiencing the glory. We want to experience the glory. We want to see miracles. We want to see signs and wonders and healings. And, and I'm in. And that's something I love to see. What an amazing thing. But I want us to look back at John chapter 17 for a moment when Jesus literally and the final days of his life before he goes to the cross, he's praying, and he says in verse 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, listen to this, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Now, this isn't some type of ecumenical unity. He's not talking about something horizontal where we just all agree to disagree. He's talking about a spiritual oneness. In fact, the word in the New Testament and the Old Testament that's translated unity in English literally means oneness. There is a oneness that God wants to take place. We, I've mentioned this before, but you can see this in Matthew 28 verses 19 particularly he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit literally means baptizing them into the name, into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. There is a place of oneness. 
where he becomes our identity, where he becomes our life, where he becomes all and all to us. And then he continues and he says that the world may believe that you've sent me. Listen to this, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, watch this. The glory I've given them that they may do signs and wonders, that their shadow may heal the sick, that they may walk down the street and demons will shriek and run for cover. (laughs) No, no, no. I've given them the glory that they might be one. They might be one. And so that goes beyond that. And listen, then he says in the next verse, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Wow. There is a place of oneness, this revelation of union. You know, some of you guys heard the story, and I know it's crazy, but back in February 22nd, we were here and just, we had gone back, we, hadn't, we would be going back to America in a few days before we moved here. And we were in staff discipleship and I got up and, you know, I was sharing the word. And I began to talk about, I don't know what the topic was, but <laughs> I know that I just felt to talk about how I had these experiences. Listen, I'm not this type of person. I'm very practical Okay, I'm not very mystical. I have visions, I have dreams, but I'm not like super mystical, okay? But yet, I kept seeing two, two, two. Everywhere I go, we check in a hotel, two, two, two. Wake up, I, like several nights in a row, two, 22. I mean, I get significant phone calls, significant phone calls, and it would be two, 22 in the afternoon. It just happening. One, and I was like, God, what is this? I mean, this is creepy. What is it? And the Lord just reminded me of Ephesians 2, 22, where it speaks about becoming the habitation of God, that we become the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And as you think about God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. We are a triune being. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at his coming. And the Lord just began to say to me, Son, what I'm wanting is not just that your spirit man would be yielded. How many know the spirit is willing, but what? The, The flesh is weak, but that your flesh your soul, your mind, your thought life, your affections, your desires, your will, all of that be brought into subjection and oneness with Jesus Christ, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we come to that place where we are one with him, where everything is yielded to him, then we are going to begin to see the release and the manifestation of his glory throughout the earth. There is a power 
that is in us, guys. We don't need to be praying. It's really the wrong prayer. God, send your power. The power is in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. But Lord, what's locking this power in me? What's blocking this power from being released? God, why is it that I'm not experiencing the fullness of your power and your glory in your life? God, deal with those things in me. Break me. Remove the resistance. Help me not to be obstinate and stubborn, but let me be willing to do whatever you want me to do. I had the privilege to share in Newman School of the Spirit last Thursday, and someone asked me the question. He said, like, that must be a big deal, moving from America and coming here, like massive sacrifice. I was like, no. How's that a sacrifice? It's obedience. And there's no sacrifice. Like somebody, uh, well, yeah, okay, so we, we had to do this, we had to do that. Okay, cut your losses, whatever it may be. The bottom line is, when we follow God, we receive, Jesus said, a hundredfold in this life. In this life. An eternal life in the age to come. What is that? It's not a sacrifice. That's a blessing. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, follow you, Lord. Follow you. Do what you've called me to do. Lord, I'm willing. Sometimes we have to pray, God, I'm willing to be made willing. For God works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. One translation says he works in us giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I had a dream recently. And it was very personal. I'm going to just be transparent for a moment. <clears throat> but I'm not going to disclose everything. Not because I'm trying to be resistant, because it's not important. I had this dream and I was speaking at a church and after the church, the pastor came up to me and he began to comment on the word I had shared and what had happened and how God's spirit had moved. And he began to say things, complimentary, nothing wrong with that. I mean, come on, we don't, oh, it's all God. No, say thank you. Thank you. Obviously, it's God, but he still needed us. But there was something I said. It was like a slip of the tongue. And it was like I took credit for something. And the Lord amplified this statement. I think most people would have never understood the seriousness of what had just happened. But God said to me, he said, look, do you see what you just did? That was pride. And in the dream, I was so convicted. I was so convicted that I felt like I can't do this. I can't minister anymore. I can't preach anymore. There's too much flesh. There's still part of me 
that's not been crucified. And I felt the, the weight of what God was saying. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, no, I just wanted you to see this. I just wanted you to recognize this. Now, some people would say, well, that's heavy. That's condemnation. No, you don't understand. Maybe for you, that's not important or it's not as serious. But for me, God was saying, I've been taking you on this journey. And this journey is if you are going to release the excellency of the power. So there can't be anything that will lock this in. The earth and vessel must be smashed. And I said to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Help me to get out of the way. Pastor Corey said something very profound this morning. He said, there is a separation, this gap, and it's widening, this chasm, so to speak, between those who just want the form, the earthen vessel, and those that want the power, the treasure. Another dream that I had recently, I was at a church, and I walked into this church. I'd never been there before, but I had been invited to speak in this church. And when I got there, I met with one of the leaders, but it became obvious that they actually didn't have a pastor. They'd gone through some sort of transition or loss, and they didn't have a pastor, but they said, we wanted you to come and speak. So here I am. I'm about to, you know, get ready to speak, and this man walks over, and I knew he was a pastor. And he speaks to the leader, and he says, he points to me, and he says, who's that? And he said, that's Pastor Glenn. He's speaking today. And we invited him to come and speak. And this pastor said, hey, he's not speaking. And he looked at me and he said, you're not speaking today. And he pointed to another man who was with him, a very well-known evangelist. And I could tell that the evangelist didn't agree with what was going on, but he wouldn't say anything. The leader in the church looked at me and he said, we don't like this. We invited this man to come and to be our apostolic overseer of our church because we don't have a pastor right now. And he's taking over everything. It's not what we anticipated. And I said, you need to speak with him. Tell him what's in your heart. And he said, okay, we'll do that. He went over and he spoke to the man and the man said, it's too late. This is my church now. You're going to do what I say. At that point, I became furious. I walked over to the man and I looked him in the eye and I said, I don't know who you are, but this is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. And I said, and we are not afraid of you and you're not going to get away with this. And I walked away. In fact, this is, this is funny. He said, I forgot about this part. He, this guy had a lot of money. I could tell he had a lot of money. And he said, this church can't support itself. They need my money. And I looked at him and I said, we're not afraid of you. We don't need your money. And by the way, I'm a multimillionaire. <laughs> I don't know if that's prophetic or... <laughs> 
But that's what I said in the dream. And by the way, I'm a multimillionaire. We don't need your money. You're filthy lucre. May it perish with you. At that moment, the leaders of this church, they said, hey, can we have lunch together? So we went out and we had lunch. The guest minister spoke, the guest evangelist. And we went out and had lunch and they said, we're done. That's it. So we're pulling out. I said, what do you mean you're pulling out? He said, well, he owns the building now. I said, so what are you guys gonna do? We're leaving. We don't care about the building. It matters not any to us. And I said, wow. And he said, we're going down the road and we're gonna start something fresh where Jesus is truly glorified. And as I began to think about that dream in retrospect, when I woke up, I went, oh my gosh, is that ever prophetic with what's happening in the church today? There's a separation. Those who want the Lord in his fullness and those who are in it for personal gain, personal motives. God is doing something in this hour. And it was obvious that there was no anointing, no power. There was nothing. These people were hungry for the Lord. They wanted the glory of God. We are in an amazing time. God is amping things up to the point where he's calling us to a place of brokenness. Many of us have not allowed our breaking point to propel us into a place of breakthrough. Many of us have been in a place where, you know, we've been somewhat broken by God. You know, we can be used for ordinary duties, perhaps for manual labor, but God is wanting a people tonight who will allow him to break him completely so that you can become a war horse, a war horse. He can ride you in the direction he wants to go. When he speaks to you, you respond. When he nudges you, you give way. Whatever it is that he wants. And I'm telling you that those who will allow him to break them will see his glory manifest. There has been this kind of void in the kingdom over the past several years. It's, it's like the glory has departed gradually. Again, this is a generalization. There's obviously places where the glory is being poured out and manifested. And the reason why the glory is being poured out and manifested is because there is a people that are hungry. But the challenge that I want to leave with us tonight is this. How broken are we? How broken are we? God wants to use us in an incredible way. He wants to fully break us so we can be used by him. And so are we a horse that hopefully never, he would just have to discard us? Are we a horse that, you know, he can do some things with us, 
bearing burdens, ordinary duty, or are we willing to be broken to become a war horse? I'd like you to stand, please. We're going to pray tonight. And I felt very clearly that the Lord said we're going to break off those things that are causing us to not experience the full breakthrough that God has for us. There's things that God wants to break off in our soul, in our flesh. He wants to bring us to that place of brokenness. Will you allow your breaking point to be a catalyst for breakthrough? There may be things in your life where you just say, hey, I've been trying to break through this. I'm trying to break through it. I can't. I haven't been able to. This thing still got its grip on me. It's like you feel contained. God wants to grant freedom. He wants to break out tonight. Break out tonight. He's the Lord of breakthrough. Baal Perizim. He wants to bring breakthrough. Tonight is a night where he's going to break off chains. He's going to break off things that have held you in bondage. And he's going to release you into that glorious liberty that he has for your life. Stop resisting. Stop balking, running. Run to him. Run to him tonight. Run to him. Surrender. Surrender. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. If you are bound by sin, come on. Let that brokenness, let that brokenness, that broken heart, that contrite spirit set you free tonight. If you're bound by hurt, pain, woundedness, let God free you tonight. Let Him heal you. Let Him break all of that stuff off of you. Disappointment, frustration. Wouldn't it be awesome if we would live like Jesus? Everywhere we would go, we would release the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Everywhere. I have so much more that God has said to me, you need to deal with this, you need to deal with that. And it's not condemnation, guys. It's all about freedom. It's about freedom. Don't put up with those things. Go to the threshing floor tonight. 
Go to the threshing floor tonight. Come on. The threshing floor. Let him break that shell wide open. Let him break that shell open so that your spirit can soar. Your spirit can be free. Come on, let's worship the Lord. I want to just invite you tonight, if you're here and you say, I need a breakthrough. There's things that are, I'm in bondage, I'm bound, I feel contained. I need a breakthrough tonight. You want God, break me. Your cry is, God, break me. Once and for all, break me. Yes, it's a process, but it starts. There's a starting point where we say, that's it, I give up. I give up. I give up. Have your way. Break me tonight, Lord. Break me tonight, Lord God. Break me, Lord Jesus. Set me free, Lord Jesus. Break me, Lord. I give it all to you. I give it all to you. I want to be your war horse. I want to be your war horse, Lord. Take me into battle. Take me into battle. Wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. Lord, break me tonight. Break me tonight. Break me. Brokenness. The sacrifice of God. The sacrifice of God, that broken heart, that contrite spirit, broken, broken for breakthrough, broken for breakthrough, broken for breakthrough, that the life, the life of Christ would manifest, the life of Christ would manifest, brokenness, brokenness, that his glory would be revealed, that his glory would be revealed, that his life would manifest tonight. Come on, just begin to cry out to him tonight.